Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. Okay, what are we talking about on this day in history? The Soviet Union launched a dog into the space. That dog died. Yeah, in 1957. Yeah, Sparky or something. Yeah, that's it. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now we know that unfortunate piece of news. We're talking about body farms. Yay! I got the information from FBI.gov and Science.HowStuffWorks.com. That's easy to say. Yeah. I passed a few of them before. I think there's one near Knoxville or somewhere. In 1981, the Knoxville, Tennessee body farm was established with the first body that was donated. There's 2.5 acres where human donors' remains are buried, partially covered, left out in the elements for forensic anthropologists to study, you know, how it breaks down. Yeah. Decomposing in different conditions. It needed to be done. Mm-hmm. It helps law enforcement with investigations. And this one was founded by Dr. William Bass. From the pro shop fame. <laughs> They utilized unclaimed bodies from medical examiner offices before they had their first donor. Oh, they just take whatever they don't, nobody else wants. Yep. That's reasonable, too. Yeah. A few ways that the bodies are left to decompose are wrapped in plastic, partially clothed, placed in the cars or the car's trunks, and placed in garbage bins. Have they set some ablaze and then left them in the car? I don't know. It seems like something that would happen often. Hmm. Just stuck in a car trunk and then burned. Yeah. Or just burnt. <laughs> Either way, bad. More than 150 human donors have been placed in different areas at the body farms. The Knoxville, Tennessee body farm has a skeletal collection of over 1,700 individuals. It looks like they'd have more than that. Does not a lot of people donate? They may, but some of the families ask for the bodies back when they're done doing studies on them. Oh. Because that is something that you can clearly request. Clearly a situation where the family did not agree with their decision to donate their body. Probably. That's unfortunate. They should have no say whatsoever. No. They learn techniques for approaching diverse crime scenes or graves and how to probe the soil to detect signs of disturbance, indicating a potential grave. They lay out a grid and excavate the grave in three layers to document any possible evidence without knocking it over to another level. Mm -hmm. They dig around the bones so the skeleton is elevated as well, and they map all physical evidence and take lots of pictures they do it as science should be done yeah i guess you could say clinically yeah this also helps to learn about the effects of maggots and other insects and the effect they have on the decomposing process have they ever tried strapping a chicken's anus to someone and laying them out to rot perhaps that area would not rot i think it would because eventually the chicken's gonna rot only when it dies and in which case the body might come back to life (laughs) i don't think that's how it works we cover that like our first episode i think that's how it works We also realized that it didn't work. Oh, those hedge witches. Yeah. This process can also help determine the time of death more accurately. Yes. Which is why it's important to know how the maggots and other insects behave. Yeah. Uh, Pupate. um, Grow? Evolve. Now we're going into the process of decay. When your heart stops, oxygen stops reaching the cells and tissues. And no heartbeat means no oxygen supply to the body's cells, causing them to die. Brain cells are the first to die. Yeah, they need a lot of oxygen. They die in about three to seven minutes, and then bone and skin cells can survive for days. That's why your fingernails and your hair grows. They really don't. That's a lie. It's because your skin is tightening? Yeah. Oh. Well, decaying. Yeah. If Evil Dead has anything to say about it, 
when you decay, you get really plump and then start to deteriorate quickly. Uh, I don't think you could trust Evil Dead, though. How do you pronounce C-A-P-I-L-L-A-R-I-E-S? Um, Capillaries? Capillaries? The blood drains and collects in lower areas after death. Gravity. This causes some pale areas and then some dark areas on the body. And then rigor mortis starts about three hours after death. Isn't that the, like, when the body gets real stiffity? Yes, the muscles become stiff during the process. Okay. I know, because when we have, like, a random animal die around here and I have to move it, it is like moving a plank version of an animal. (laughs) I can just pick it up by one of its little toes and it will just stay in that shape, no matter what shape it died in. Mm. Long enough for me to... uh, dispose of the corpse maybe i should start laying them around the yard and tell my mom i'm starting a body farm <laughs> she's gonna think you're a serial killer uh, yeah oh the body becomes cool after about 12 hours after death and then that takes a while yes and internal heat loss occurs around 24 hours after we're just little ovens this is influenced by body fat and external temperatures so it's i have an around. uncle that should stay very warm for quite a while <laughs> This is called algal mortis. Algor mortis. Like Al Gore. <laughs> the uh, man bear pig guy from South Park, former vice president. The muscle tissue starts to lose its stiffness about 36 hours after death. So if you would have just left them for a little more time, you probably have to worry about those maggots by that point. But apparently it loses its stiffness. The rigor mortis is typically gone within 72 hours after death. Ah. Bacteria in the body starts to break down cells once they've died. The pancreas begins to break down cells as they die, begins to digest itself. And the enzymes is what causes this. I don't know what enzymes are. Mm. Decomposing tissue releases a green substance and gases, hydrogen, sulfide, and methane being some. They can explode. Yes. Yes, they can. I know whales are known to do that. Yeah. It's sad, but the and, videos and cattle, are actually interesting. Cattle are, are do it, too. I've never seen a cow do it. Me neither. I'd rather not. Why do you want to bet that's the cause of all the alien problems? Cows? The, a dead cow exploding, and it turns inside out. What does that have to do with aliens? That's, all the farmers say their, their cows are being turned inside out by aliens. Maybe they should check their cows more. They live on these big farms in the you know, Midwest. So it's big open areas. They can like check on so many at a time, I'm sure. Uh, I would almost guarantee. I know nothing about farming like that. I might be wrong, but what you want to bet that that might be what happens there. Hmm. Does make sense. Mutilated cow, mutilated cow. It's just an exploded cow. (laughs) That would make sense. When the lung tissues began to break down, it can lead to fluids coming from the mouth and nose. It's a vampire myth thing. Mm -hmm. Now we're going more into maggots. Oh. At this point, animals and insects will start to notice the body, attracting flies, and a single fly can lay around 300 eggs on a corpse. The eggs will hatch within a day after being laid by the fly. I didn't know this. Maggots use hooks in their mouths to gather the fluids oozing from a corpse. Yeah. They have hooks. Yeah, they have a little hook. They're like little graboids. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Ew, a giant maggot. It didn't turn into a pretty fly either. Within a day, maggots enter into their second stage of life and start burrowing into the corpse. Then they release enzymes that help in turning the body into a liquid-like substance. They're like spiders, but on the outside of their body is where the enzymes come from. Mm -hmm. 
The first stage larva is about two millimeters long, and they can grow up to about 20 millimeters, which is about 10 times its original length in the third stage of life. They can also consume up to 60% of the human body in less than seven days. Who needs a field of pigs to eat a corpse when you have... uh... Yeah, but the pigs eat the bones too, from what I understand. Mm Mm-hmm. The maggots don't. No. The environment also affects the speed of decay. Yeah, colder is better for preserving things. Yeah. That's why we throw stuff in refrigerators. Bodies in the water decay twice as quickly as those not buried on the dry land. They also make a particularly scary zombie. Decomposing is slowest underground. You know what? I'm surprised, but I guess flies can't get to it as easily. Yeah, clay and other similar substances block oxygen from accessing the body, which many bacteria need oxygen to survive. Including people. Which is limited underground. A body in a coffin may lose all tissue and flesh in 40 to 50 years. But this depends on how deep it's buried. And I would assume if they're embalmed or not. If you get embalmed and you only last that long, I want a refund. I don't see the point of getting embalmed anyway. I don't either. I I never did. I don't know why, because the Egyptians done something similar. I guess they thought we needed to. I don't know. Well, um, that's probably one of the main things. But I think it's also because I want to say during the Civil War, we covered this on the I was surprised they were embalming people. Yeah. Yeah. And they were embalming people at that point so that they could ship them off to their loved ones' homes. That's more than I would have expected of the time, to be honest. Yeah. I want to say that's what it is, if I remember. Okay. Bones can take hundreds of years yeah. to, de- to decompose. Forensic anthropologists assist in finding and collecting remains at crime scenes when a body is discovered. They separate bones from other materials, bring them to a lab, and clean and examine them. Then they testify in court about their findings. They actually do not perform DNA collection or analysis, autopsies, blood stain pattern analysis, study of ballistics or weapon-related evidence, and the search for hair and fibers. That's for other people to do. Yes. There's also a body farm in Western Carolina University. What is Western Carolina? It's somewhere in the Carolinas, but I don't know which one. They may work in both. Their body farm is about 59 square feet and holds about six to 10 bodies at a time. You know, I'm surprised at how tiny that is. Yeah. (laughs) The University of Tennessee's body farm holds around 40 bodies and it's about three acres. Pretty much they have their own rules. (laughs) So you've got a whole bunch of bodies piled up in one and then you've got a few bodies in a much bigger area. It looks like it would cause cross-contamination. From what? The small one. Hmm. I don't know unless... Uh, there must be a reason. The University of Texas San Marcos, I'm assuming is how that is, body farm covers about five acres. Oh. I didn't see how many it had at a time. I don't know either. They each have their own unique focus. Tennessee focuses on things such as where the body is located, buried or unburied, submerged in water, inside of cars. And the Western Carolina focuses on the study of decomposition, specifically in the mountain region of the Carolinas. That's so why I'm assuming it's both. Yeah, they, they don't mind if it's cross-contaminated because it's all for the same reason. Yeah. The Texas one obviously focuses on decomposing bodies in desert climates. Arid climates. Arid. After the body farms accept a donation, the body goes into refrigerators, like a morgue. Until time for decomposing. (laughs) Until they are assigned an ID number and put in their designated spot. And these locations are supposed to be mapped out very carefully. 
as to not startle the locals. Fun. <laughs> Maybe that too, but it's also going bodies. to be bad if you're studying this and you lose the body. And they obviously leave the bodies out for different amounts of times. After students have practiced with locating, collecting, and removing the remains, the body can be returned to the family for burial if the family requests it. That's expensive. I hate to say it. I would just say, thank goodness this price has been paid for me by someone else. <laughs> you all can keep it. Yeah. Give me a plaque. Bodies that are not requested back remain in the department's skeleton collection, and Knoxville has a collection of bones from over 700 people. They use wired fences to protect bodies from animals that could drag them away. I, I would assume that would be part of the decomposition process. <laughs> they leave some out of the wired fences as Just well. so the neighbor people be like, my dog brought another one home. Here you go. <laughs> Take this from me, sir. <laughs> the deposit box out front for the locals. Oh. Just leave your name and address and we'll contact you about with our apology letter. Oh, I don't think an apology would be enough for me. I wouldn't care. Our dog brought an eyeball from a deer carcass into the house the other day, and I didn't get upset about that. Uh, Scott got a little ill, but I was fine with it. I just picked it up with a little <laughs> cup and threw it out in the yard. <laughs> Mom said, he's got an eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was. And then Scott said, is that an eyeball? And then he gagged real loud and said, it's got hair on it. It's an eyeball. It was covered in hair. If our neighbors can hear us... They've got to think we're insane. It came from the neighbors. They're the ones of the corpse. Well, still, you just randomly hear somebody, he's got a novel. Yes. And my dogs always try to eat the cat poop, so I'm always screaming, stop eating cat shit. Yeah, they do that. Air dogs do that, too. But I don't mind. The litter box is easier to clean. Oh. I don't, you know, get kisses from the dog like mom does. Uh, okay. Body farms help scientists study how bodies naturally break down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole purpose in this episode. <laughs> okay. They also show the impact of decomposing bodies on the surrounding area. For, That's also important, yeah. Yes. For example, obviously insect populations rise and fall based on if the, there's a corpse there or not. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of food here. Things are going well. <laughs> a decaying body can also kill off some of the surrounding vegetation. Bones can provide clues about a person, such as age, sex, and race. And it's hard to tell the gender of a young kid from their bones, because apparently there's barely any differences at that age. Mm -hmm. I never can tell. Oh. I mean, I see a child, I'm like, there is a child. And I'll try my best not to say he or she. It. <laughs> uh, I say it, but I've been chastised for that once. Yeah, well... People also are like, it's not an it, it's a baby. Okay, well, I don't know what that is, so I can't say what it is without being offensive either way. Babies all look the same. They look like potatoes. The gender in adult skeletons is often identified by the size of the bones. Larger bones usually indicate a male, while smaller bones suggest it's a female. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The muscle connection points on bones are larger on males as well. Oh. Women have a larger pelvic bone inlet. That's that, the space designed to assist in childbirth. That's those birthing hips <laughs> that they mention in Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. Yeah, dark Shadows. The female skull has a rounder forehead, usually, too. When the male is apparently, it slants backwards. It's better for butting heads. Oh. I don't know that. <laughs> Beth, you act like I actually it knew might what I was be. talking about. <laughs> well, let's do a test. You headbutt somebody and find another female that's not me to headbutt somebody as well. We'll okay. see who, whose head works the best. 
We'll see if Mina will do it. <laughs> Female chins are also usually pointed, while male chins tend to be squared off. And ribs can also help figure out a general age range. As we age, ribs end up becoming less flat and more ragged. Okay. I don't know what that means. I guess they wear out like an old cheap piece of cloth. <laughs> and eye distance and tooth shape can help identify ethnicity. Oh. Apparently, there's more differences within each racial group than in between different groups. I did not know that. I didn't either. I thought it was a fun little fact. Once the age, sex, and ethnicity is figured out, the estimated pre-death height and weight can be determined. Now, obviously, people were afraid of these body farms popping up near them in their property. I would much rather have that than a school. A, yeah. a normal school. I'd rather deal with or that. Or any other public corpses, area like yeah, that. Those corpses aren't going to bother me as much as a bunch of screaming nope. children. Nope. Not even or, children. Or adults. Even, yeah, even like <laughs> teens is even scarier. Teens, adults, <laughs> humans. How about humans I, that I, are still living? I'd much rather have a, a field of corpses next to my house than, <laughs> than a group, a gaggle I'll, of talking individuals. I'll just plant a bunch of good smelling flowers, I guess. And that's going to bring in a bunch of Corpses? What? No, it's going to help with the smell, hopefully. Oh, I don't worry about oh the corpses. Oh, I don't mind decay smell. Never have. In Texas, to avoid animals dragging bodies by placing the farm at least a mile away from other properties, to prevent contaminated and disease spread, bodies are tested for infectious diseases, and they are not accepted if they have any. This has got a bad case of the deads. <laughs> Also, anybody that's going to be working near these bodies have to have vaccines. What do you have? Uh, I have decomp vac. <laughs> I don't know. What, what kind of disease are they expecting? Well, the process also decomposes disease-causing organisms, which usually leaves the remains harmless, but I guess it's a... A risk not worth taking. Yeah. <laughs> In 1936, the FBI started using the Smithsonian's labs and experts. They would practice collecting bodies at the body farm and enhance their skills in identifying bones in real-life scenarios. Yeah, it's such, a very handy set of skills to have. Such as John Wayne Gacy. His case was solved by forensic anthropologists by establishing the height and weight of the victims, which helped when it was time to match with the missing persons data. Wasn't he the clown? Yes, he was the clown. Oh, man. Oh, he went after all kinds of kid, dudes and children. I don't know if they were children, teens. Mostly Teens. younger ones, I want to yeah. say, for sure. They used bone profiles to identify the victims. They also helped with Big Bopper's body. Who's that? It's a musician. I don't know who it is, but he was a musician. <laughs> I, I thought know you that. just mispronounced something. No. He... Big Bopper. We're sorry. Oh. We've talked a lot about stuff. That people, some people we might not want their family in these body farms, but their family member wanted it. So if we were pretty insensitive about that. Now we're making fun of someone named Big Bopper. Yeah. <clears throat> now tell me about Big Bopper. <laughs> <laughs> his body was investigated by Dr. Bass. He was killed in a plane crash, and his body was found about 40 feet from the plane, which led people to believe that he may have survived the plane crash and died while he was trying to walk away from it to get help. Walk away. What in the world could possibly have went wrong on a short walk after a plane crash? There is a, a girl. There's a story of a girl who actually did survive the plane crash. The South American crash. one that lived for like a month in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I forgot her name, but I remember the story. Dr. Bass discovered that almost every single bone in his body was broken. 
which meant he was not walking. He died. He must have gotten thrown from the plane. Yeah. And since this was a short episode, I have a few songs that are funny or inappropriate, whoever you may ask, to play at a funeral. Okay. What? Tell me about these songs. It's just a list. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Oh, no. By Wham. Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Bring Me to Life, Evanescence. Survivor, Destiny's Child. Yeah, unfortunate. Not the case. The Best Day Ever from SpongeBob. What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. Every Breath You Take by The Police. That's a good song, too. The Final Countdown by Europe. Bye 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 by NSYNC. Oh, no. <laughs> Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Happy by Farrell Williams. Staying Alive by Bee Gees. Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. Highway to Hell, ACDC. Ha Ha, You're Dead, Green Day, which I have not heard. I haven't either. I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Way Down We Go. I don't know how to pronounce that. Kaleo. Kaleo. Best Day of My Life by American Authors. Um, and I'm done. Okay. Those weren't bad. It would be terrible to have it. I don't know. I've got that kind of humor. It'd be fine of me. I could see a lot of people not liking it. Yeah. I also have a things you wouldn't expect to see in a cemetery. It's only one thing, though. Here's a thing you wouldn't expect just, to see in a cemetery. It's odd. I don't know how to title that. It's in Franklin County Cemetery, located close to Roanoke, Virginia. The cemetery looked like a completely normal little graveyard cemetery. It even had headstones, some flowers. What was so surprising about it, though? And it was mowed, well-maintained. I prefer unmowed one. You know, that's a popular thing. There's a church down in the where we boarded the Carnival Cruise. There's a church down there that has a natural garden slash cemetery set up uh it became it was, some churches do that which is just flower gardens and everything just kind of like oh, to grow naturally uh, yeah i know what you're talking about yeah but go on tell me what you found in that cemetery it was a cover-up for a moonshine still that was located underneath it did i send you that yeah okay i wanted to do a whole thing about that i couldn't find that much information on it that's why i just decided to put it in my little things that wouldn't make a full episode but i'll add them to a episode that's not going to be that long to try to make okay. it a little bit longer they did they just bury them in uh, certain areas like that and to hide them you know who would go digging through a cemetery otherwise and i couldn't even find anything of weird things in general when i looked up odd things that you wouldn't expect to be in a cemetery or funny things in a cemetery things like i searched a few different things and i had to actually look up moonshine still in a cemetery because nothing was coming up and i think this is the only one that it happened either i think there was another one but i didn't go into that one hunts was the agent in charge of the roanoke office of the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms people from hunts office helped the alcohol beverage agents blow up the still Mm -hmm. one person was arrested on site two escaped another cemetery claimed by someone (laughs) and jim bowman one of the three agents that was in charge of the raid said the still included 18 to 800 gallon black pots for cooking mash. That's a lot of alcohol. 18, 800 gallon black pots. Yeah, they were making a killing. The still was hidden in a large ditch that was covered by a green painted roof. So the only thing that was visible from the nearby road was the fake tombstones that they failed to put names on or any engravings. That was probably a dead giveaway. Yeah. Dead giveaway. (laughs) (laughs) The road to the still had a hidden entrance that was covered with cut pine trees that were stuck into the pipes that were buried under the dirt road. David Kent was 27 years old. He was charged with manufacturing untaxed liquor. They found 443 gallons at the site. Now I'm done. 
Well, it's good to know they made a, a good living for a while out of the dead, or the lack of dead, I guess. <laughs> it's a wonder they didn't end up buried there, just because of the <laughs> potential for an accident. Yeah. Or a cave-in. But I guess they knew what they were doing until they got caught, because somebody else knew what they were doing. <laughs> okay. Well, it's been a good episode. We're part of the Gruesome Gaming Group Podcast Network. Uh, if you like what you heard here, uh, we have a few others. We have Leveling Duo. It's a podcast where I talk to my friend Dakota. We talk to each other about video games that we like or are looking forward to coming out soon. And we have Brother Knows Quest. It's a podcast where I talk about tabletop role-playing games to my sister, and she tells me if she'd like to play them after I tell her about them. We change the game every week. We also have Twitch streams now. We're putting stuff up on YouTube. Uh, the streaming of Halo, me and Beth were doing. The audio we never could get worked out. We're working on it now. But we're going to be doing individual things. She might be playing Sims. I'll be playing Starfield. Maybe some Sea of Thieves. Stuff like that. And all the links will be in the Linktree link in the description. You can find everything down there, including social links if you want to follow us there. If you want to contact us, there's a, an email set up down there also that you can just message Beth directly. Or you could just use any other ones and message me directly, and I'll tell them, or Dakota, whatever you want to. Oh, our main website is also in the link tree. It will show you links to all of our other podcasts, have all our other shows. You can subscribe to them through there, get the RSS feed, podcast app of choice. If you want to leave a review on your podcast app, we'd appreciate that. If you want to subscribe and like on YouTube, another thing we'd really appreciate it. Also, each podcast will have an option to tip on the website if you want to leave a tip. I guess that's all for today. Thank you for listening to HHH. I've been Ramey. And I'm Beth. Bye-bye.